Here we are. Welcome to Post Orthodoxy. We took a week off. We did. We took a vacation. Unexpectedly. We didn't think we were going to take a week off, and then we did. Right. So I um, just ran up and down the stairs, so I'm going to let you talk. Uh, that's Ainsley Sevier. I'm Dark Sevier. This is our special guest. Christine Trafford is here Hello. for the show. And we just want to do our standard um, disclaimers before the show. Uh, this show is called Post Orthodoxy. Sometimes we talk about things that are outside the consensus comfort zone. That doesn't necessarily mean we're endorsing those things, but this is where we explore ideas. Some of those may cause people distress. Uh, so be forewarned. Um, this show isn't for everybody, in other words. So if you're here, welcome to the show. And um, friends, frenemies, we have a chat over here. So if you have something to say about what we're saying, please join in the conversation. Um, just because we talk about the devil doesn't mean we're the devil. Ooh. It's the best way to break it down. <laughs> and put that on a bumper sticker. Right. All yeah. right. <laughs> so we're uh, welcome to the show. We had another good bumper sticker from the show I just edited with um, Evano Omni from January 30th. I just put it up on our Podbean for podcast listener people. Um, so and he, one of the, com- the, the bumper sticker from that show was, uh, my dogma doesn't like your data, so my dogma is going to bite you. But I mean, you know, it's not very refined yeah. yet. But like, I like it though. Yeah, because <laughs> the dogma is like anything that can't be questioned, and right. the whole point of data in any scenario is to um, continually refine and answer questions. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and dogmas think that they already know everything that's going on and never need to be questioned. So I like it. All right, yeah. I'm gonna make an angry face and start the show. <laughs> Anyway, um, thank you so much to everybody who's tuning in now and or later. We appreciate you guys. Um, you can, like Dark was saying, you can leave a comment on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitch. And yep. if you hear something that you like today, take a minute and share the show with your friends. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm out of jail. I guess you can see this on my actual Facebook. You were page able again. to share it. Oh. Yeah, we're, they've they've let me out of Facebook live stream jail. So momentarily, let's see how that goes. That has become like rampant I mean, I, oh yeah i was framed crazy they brought they brought everybody onto these platforms and now they can just control the narrative however they want who's they i know they that's <laughs> 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 bad <laughs> but um leave us a chat and tell us where you're listening from this morning you can be as um vague or as broad as you like uh and we'll be happy to hear from you so christine ainsley <laughs> so nice to hear my name <laughs> i love that um 
We've been talking about having you on the show for a while. Yeah. And yeah. it's so exciting that you were finally uh, I, here. I'm really excited to finally be here. It feels like it, it has been something we've been talking about for like years. Maybe? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we could say long time years coming. plural at yeah, this point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> right? Right. Because there was like whenever I met you and then there was like this blur of the last two years of nobody really knows what happened. I don't or, remember it. Yeah. It's <laughs> like whatever happened after the last folk fest is kind of like meh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, how would you describe yourself to people? Um, Well, I am a holistic health professional, basically. You know, I Mm. I focus on um, mind-body healing and the mind-body connection in healing. Um, You know, I... my So I really kind of started on this healing journey of my own. I think we all enter our, you know... Uh, purpose-driven right careers based on what you know your own we went healing. through yeah and um when I was 14 I was in a, a car accident and uh it was it was pretty bad yeah. you know I I injured my back and my kidney and I couldn't walk very well for injured a, a kidney while. yeah but it's still going but it's still going. That's it. So like you bruise it a gives kidney. Me, it gives me kidney stones sometimes, oh, which is because of the, imp- mm. the trauma. Yeah, there's a mm. lot of, yeah. Um, but it, I mean, it does well, you know, it's, we're okay. Uh, right. But you and your kidney. Me and my kidney. <laughs> it was more of my, it was more of my, my back and, you know, being like 14, 15 years old and having constant back pain, mm. you know, and then those days where you couldn't, you know, like you see the old people that are maybe our age now, but like, <laughs> that like yeah. you know, couldn't you know, back then, right. They couldn't get out of bed because their back went out, you know, and that right. happened to me and, Aww. um, you know, not lots of help, uh, from anybody other than like, well, we could do back surgery, but we don't see anything that's really wrong. So we don't even know what Boy. we would do, you know? That kind of a yeah. A story. So you're just like, I guess I just have this chronic pain now. Yeah, I guess this just sucks now, and I end up in the ER every few months for a steroid shot in my back, and hmm. um, you know, long story short. But that was just physical trauma, Christine. Right. There was definitely no mental component no. to that. We're talking about all other traumas, <laughs> not this one. Um, and uh, that's that's I'll come around to the interesting mind body part with that actually. So I, you know, I came to use massage and yoga my one of my best friend's moms was a massage therapist and you know I started exploring that and really learned how to manage my pain you know Mm. and and with other people giving you massages right with other people giving me massages with you know doing yoga regularly with just kind of becoming more body aware in general and and you know, doing all the things right, right. That I needed to do in my individual case to, to manage that. Mm -hmm. And so then I, you know, became, I I got a bachelor's degree in health science from Montana tech and hummed and hawed a little bit about exactly where I wanted to take that, but ended up going to massage therapy school in Missoula. Okay. While my husband was in college there at the university and um, that works out just, yeah, it, it was great. I loved it. I loved Like, I, I think it was a really good school because mm. I talked to a lot of people now that are in massage therapy school and, um, you know, they don't get half of the, um, uh, mentorship mm. and experience mm. and, um, really like all of the cool little, 
um, introductions to different things that I did right. when I was there. More of a broad spectrum. Right. Like here's how you go and work at, um, you know, the McMassage parlor. Um, massage Envy. Yes. Massage Envy. I had a Massage Envy subscription Nothing for a while. Nothing against those guys. Totally I am not my life. saying yeah. that they are bad in any way. Massage. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, it's, it's really just kind of cranking people out to yeah. go and, and work, not yeah. necessarily be really, really good. You're not super therapist. invested in like a long care journey. Right. Like really developing your career mm. as, as an integrative therapist. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I, I, I really learned what was possible, you know, and I started exploring more continuing education. I'm kind of addicted to continuing education, baby. <laughs> I've taken a lot of it over the years. Um, and two of the, the big things I've, um, pursued are, hypnotherapy and craniosacral therapy. Okay. And, uh, and can you, I know just to zoom out from the summary of your life, can you yeah. do a brief moment of w what is hypnotherapy and what is craniosacral yeah, therapy? Yeah, let's do a one-on-one on some of those things. Totally. Yeah. So hypnotherapy I think is super, it is probably more widely known. Like more people have heard the term hypnotherapy mm -hmm. than craniosacral therapy, but it's super misunderstood. Um, you know, I think, right. Uh, Cause ooh, right. Hypnosis. Or like the, like the stage hypnosis guy, like, <laughs> like a chicken and whatever. Yep. Right. <laughs> and, like, it's so it's not that <laughs> right. Uh, hypnotherapy is really just a way to, um, to calm your nervous system, to take you into an altered state of consciousness where you're able to access things that maybe you wouldn't be able to access consciously. You're still, completely in control, right? Like you still can say, no, I don't want to do that. No, right. I don't feel comfortable with that. Um, you know, it's, it's really just accessing things that you aren't aware of on a conscious level. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, doing something about that, you know, really dialoguing with that subconscious and, um, you know, making alterations to deeply held beliefs. Mm. And, you know, once we identify what they are, you know, once those beliefs that are, are right. really affecting your decision making mm -hmm. um, on a daily basis, really, for, for most I of us. I think that was one of my favorite things. I did the Landmark Forum as one of the first kind of woo-woo things that I did outside of yeah. Jesus Church. And, um, and it's like a self-help empire uh, of conferences. And... One of the things that I think I benefited most from that was anytime anybody would say something, they're like, well, so let me reinterpret that back to you as a belief. You yeah. know, this is yeah. what that's that thing you just said is a story you're telling yourself about yourself. Right. Or, not necessarily a truth. It's not necessarily it's just exists outside running. of yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. But and like y y the belief system that that's based on comes from something that happened to you probably in the first five years of your life. Yes. That made you believe um, your when, core programming. When I'm around a man with a beard, I'm not safe. Right. That's a belief system that's not true for everybody, you know? And, and it may not always be conscious. It might not even be it's true often for you not anymore. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's often not conscious. And that's that's the whole point, right, mm -hmm. of, of hypnotherapy. And then craniosacral therapy um, is actually, it's, it, it's 
it's pretty big, but it's again, probably something a lot of people haven't heard of, or if they have, Mm. they don't really know what it is or they think, Oh, it has something to do with your head. Mm, Right. (laughs) You know, um, cranium. Right. Yeah. And and there is sacrum booty. Exactly. Very good. And (laughs) a lot of people don't know what sacrums are. Very, very nice. And they've landed on it before. So that's that's not a good way to learn. No, it's effective, I suppose. So, um, but, but craniosacral therapy, they do a lot of, trauma, um, work Mm. in, in that modality. And craniosacral therapy is a, it's a form of manual therapy. Um, and it's the craniosacral system is the brain spinal cord, um, the connective tissue around those structures, the meninges, right. And then the cerebrospinal fluid that's bathing Mm. them that they should be, you know, floating in nice and free flowing all the way around those structures. (laughs) But like trauma (laughs) happens, you know, Mm. Um, and then you clench. And then you clench. Animalistically, like a pill bug or an armadillo or whatever it is, you have to like right. clench to protect yourself. And right. we do that even as super evolved animals. Absolutely. And oh, and sometimes it's even just like a physical thing, like a head blow, like the craniosic. So the Epledger Institute um, in Florida partners with the NFL because of all mm. of the, mm. um, you know, head injuries and concussions, right. multiple concussions that are seen in football. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, that, that physical, you know, bonk will cause some adherence of those connective tissues to that neural tissue. Mm-hmm. And then that leads to all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's the brain, you know, I mean, yeah. there's so much about the brain specifics that we don't fully understand at this point, like it, like the little detailed mm-hmm. things of what exactly is causing what. I'll ask one other hypothetical zoom out question before we get back to the story of your life. For sure. And that is, do you feel as though there has been an uptick in conventional medicine and therapy of recognizing the connection between mental traumas and what they do to the body and physical traumas and what they do to the mind? For sure. Is it getting better? It's way getting better. I think actually this whole like opioid crisis thing has been wonderful yeah. for <laughs> like in, in the way that it's, it's really pushed that forward. There's actually something called the pain management collaboratory collaboratory. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's correct. And, um, you can look that up I'm gonna. and it, it's a partnership between the, um, the VA, the department of defense and the, um, DPHHS. And basically they're like, you know, they formed this committee and they're like, here's money. Mm-hmm figure out how we can fix healthcare so that we're actually doing what we all know should be done, you know, really more integrative. Um, yes, it's but great. And preemptive healthcare doesn't make as much money. No, not at, all. <laughs> not at all. So that's why this is kind of a profound thing they're doing yeah. and why I'm a preferred provider for the VA now. Hey, um, super oh, big great. deal like, that I can see all these veterans yeah. and like actually get paid wow. by the VA system a good amount of money. To not actually even... help people feel better, yes. not just mask symptoms. I think that's another exactly. big problem mm. is that a lot of people think that when they go to the doctor and they're treated, that they're being given help for their issue but really most of what mainstream western medicine does is just help you not feel the symptoms of your problems right it's it's a it's band-aid medicine it's crazy Um, and it's wonderful for like emergency traumas like if i get hit by a truck i want Mm -hmm. that i want to them to stop the bleeding and yes please reset the bones and all that but then after i'm out of that immediate crisis it's really not amazing at helping you no to heal, you know, or, or helping you to heal from sickness and things like that. But, um, they are actively trying to 
to do something about that and figure out like, how do we fix the system? Mm -hmm. Um, and so what, one thing that they've done with that pain management, um, collaboratory is to, they've instated all of these different initiatives and protocols within the VA and military, um, hospitals and clinics because they can, you know, they're easily controlled. Like they Mm -hmm. can say, you guys do this and, um, it's not, you know, a private industry. And now they're just kind of gathering data on how is, how is it working? Like, how can we change this Mm. and how can we do better? So there's stuff and that has prompted more research, Mm -hmm. right. Which has prompted better acceptance because, you know, medical doctors like research. They like a very specific kind of research and it's very expensive research Mm. and there's not a lot of people to pay for that. You know, whereas with, you know, the pharmaceutical industry, there's, there's lots of money to be, to, con- uh, to be given to, yeah. to pay for those kinds of studies that to they make will then more pay money to, right. Yeah. To make more money where <laughs> I don't, I don't make nearly as much money. <laughs> right. And you're not making money for someone else. Right. I right. can't, Nobody can I really... can't prescribe you to a Marine that I know and right. have the government make money off of it or have a pharmaceutical company make money off of me prescribing you. Exactly. Which isn't to say that pharmaceuticals are inherently bad. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's kind of set up to be successful in a capitalistic system, whereas therapies aren't so much, (laughs) um, doesn't make them any less valuable. And so, so, so craniosacral therapy, um, just a, an amazing, um, very gentle modality. Um, you can look, is it like a massage? (sighs) Are they late? Are people laying down? People are laying down. Yeah. So you, you can go to upledger.com and they've actually got a wonderful, um, overview, uh, and a lot of really cool videos, just really explaining in depth what craniosacral is. Uh, but you are, you are laying down, you are mm-hmm. fully clothed, however, and it is very relaxing. Generally oh. what, what clients say to me, they say, wow, that was different, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or they're like, oh, like, like I feel great, mm-hmm. but like, they're really kind of out of it for a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and, and groggy, um, I've seen some really profound healing from it. I've seen it. what, what the focus is of that is when we talk about trauma um, is helping to release the physical aspects mm-hmm. of trauma because trauma does become recorded in your body on your body's tissues mm-hmm. and then affects things mm. because it's there, right? You know, we, um, in craniosacral therapy, they talk about energy cysts. Energy and, cysts, yeah, and a buildup of something. Meh. Well, it's a, it's like a whatever, uh, like kind of foreign traumatic. Like I, I like to explain it, um, with the the physical aspect, right? So mm-hmm. like you get bonked over the head, bonk, right, and then like that kinetic energy like travels down through your body, and it'll try to go all the way through and out, but it probably won't make it, you know. So then it'll end up lo- like landing somewhere, mm. and then your body recognizes that as not conducive to its energy. So it'll kind of create an an area of increased entropy to wall that off Mm -hmm. to protect any more tissue from being affected by it. Mm. However, you know, over time that's, that's not the best strategy. Mm -hmm. So with craniosacral therapy, you're going in and creating enough safety and safeness. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, and other things it's a, it's a fairly complex modality, but you're you're really just opening that up to peel those layers back and then let that energy re- reprocess back up and out. 
Is there a mental aspect to that that you're recommending? Is there like oh, there's always the a way you aspect. think about the pain? There was a I met this Kahuna when I was in Hawaii a long time ago, and he said, "Let's say you're hammering on the porch, and you hit your thumb, and uh, you curse first, and then you just keep talking, you just keep replaying that." Hammer hitting your thumb over and over. Oh, Why did it. I do I that? Yeah. If I hadn't of, or, and then you just keep replaying the pain. He goes, if after you get through cursing, <laughs> you just reimagine missing your thumb, mm-hmm. like you didn't do the accident and replay that over and over, your thumb will heal faster. It's so funny because I literally read, so I don't, I, I don't know if you guys have probably read the book, um, The Body Keeps the Score. I I've heard of that. Yeah, it's I want like yeah, yeah, yeah. the best. You know, yeah. uh, Bessel van der Kolk. Um, he's kind of like the father of somatic psychology. Mm-hmm. And um, but in that book, you will read about um, he had a friend who was um, at uh, Ground Zero and during nine eleven, and the the son of that friend was at uh, school. I think in like first grade or something at like the school that was like. 1500 feet from mm. where this oh, was geez. and watched out their window and saw the, the plane hit oh, and everything. No. And so, um, you know, about a week after everything happened, he came to visit and I, I think really was there to kind of talk and help with trauma and trauma survivors. Cause that's his big specialty. The guy that wrote um, the book and, uh, the kid had drawn a picture of the, towers you know and the one being hit by the plane and people jumping out of the windows and the firemen and everything and at the bottom there was like a big black circle and he's like what is that what's that big black circle he's like oh it's a trampoline Mm. and he's like oh yeah he's like yeah so that next time when it happens they'll be safe (laughs) right doesn't that just make you want to tear up and cry but like really that is because this kid was so well adjusted Mm. You know, and had all the things that he needed right up to that age of five, right? Mm-hmm. Like that we're talking about five or six when, um, you know, that he had used his imagination to fix that in mm-hmm. his mind so that it didn't keep happening over and over again when he thought of it the next time they were safe. He had such a strong belief that life in general was safe and healthy yeah. that rather than seeing the two towers collapse and people dying and be like, yep, expected that. And becoming stuck in that moment of yeah. trauma, mm-hmm. which is so common. Right. <sighs> so there's, there's totally a thing to that. And that's, that's really interesting that you bring that up. Mm, Kevin yeah. Noel Olson is tuning in. Um, he's been a long time friend of the show. Oh, and Kevin. He, he's talking about the placebo effect is yeah. even better than recognized and it's available to everyone inexpensively. That's kind of what you're talking about is like self placeboing. Well, I haven't hammered two thumbs and then replayed the injury and replayed the, the not injury to do a <laughs> test on myself. But I have, I started integrating that into every time we'll I bang later. my <laughs> head or do, you know, Science. I, I curse first and then I just see myself having not done it. Yeah. And then I don't, it's, it's almost be- become a thing where I don't keep, re- I don't have to replay that for some reason. Yeah. Where the way I, I, I w- would replay like, geez, if I just hadn't have, then I wouldn't mm-hmm. be suffering. And then I think that, that is a, that's not a placebo. Is that a placebo? Well, the placebo, is is? the placebo is when someone else gives you what you believe to be a medication to and help you, you with it, a problem. And it may have the desired effect. 
And the placebo right. effect is when your belief that you've been given the real medication is so strong that you experience the same benefits as the people who were actually given that medication. So, yes, this is the mind-body connection that we're going to talk Except about Except now today. you're doing it yes. to yourself. Doing it to yourself, self-medicating Self mentally. Self-placeboing. Totally. Self yeah. And, there, and I mean, awesome. there's so much to that placebo effect. There's actually, since we're talking about books, a couple other really great books are The Relaxation Response and Beyond the Relaxation Response. And those are, those are older also. They were written by a uh, Harvard-educated cardiologist. And As in like what happens to your body when you are actually at rest? Um, sort of. Um, yes, like yes, but more than that. Right. So he so the relaxation response was prompted by, um, you know, being a cardiologist. He was this was back in like the 70s when it was very well known that yeah. the mind and the body were completely separate things and they did not affect each other. <laughs> right. Completely separate. Yeah. Completely totally separate. Well, because yes. because Jesus um, put your spirit in you and that's different than this crust you will leave <laughs> behind when you die. It's it, well, it's right. Like it's it's. God, there's so much to the cultural beliefs uh. that we have that like permeate through even like the most scientific right things, right? I think you get to the core of like like nature and we are humans and that is nature yes. is like one of the most profound versions of that where we don't even consider ourselves a part, part of, of nature. nature. And it, well, so so back so Sorry, this, it's this. okay. No, it's all right. No, we've already veered this is just off a really times. interesting. <laughs> this is a really interesting part of the mind body. So I just want I don't want to get distracted from yeah. it. So the, um, you know, cardiologist notices more than anybody that like you go into the doctor and your heart rate, your blood pressure, everything goes up and everybody knew that too. Mm. And so he's like, that doesn't make sense. Why, if the mind doesn't affect the body, why would being nervous and going to the doctor affect your heart rate and your blood pressure? So he went back, actually left his clinical practice and went back to Harvard to do wow. research. And, um, this is when he started researching transcendental meditation mm. because that was kind of like the big thing, right? At the time, like all the kids were doing it. And so um, he just like, would, you know, in traditional university research, you just round up a bunch of college students and give them a, a break. Transcendental meditation is pretty simple, right? It's like pick a um, mantra, a mantra of any kind, you know, whatever, a word or a sound or anything at all that means something to you, repeat it to, um, to occupy that, that monkey brain, that critter brain, and then allow for, um, you know, your nervous system to calm down and the rest of mm. your body. So, and then he would like monitor everything, right? Like you'd be sitting there meditating, but you're also like hooked up to all these like you know, EKG. EKGs yeah. and wires and stuff and have like a thermometer up your butt and like, <laughs> like measuring like your internal now temperature relax. and everything. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, and they were like, wow, like literally two weeks of this and these people are changing their um, their blood pressure, they're changing their uh, cholesterol mm. levels, they're changing um, everything. Like, I mean, like all this stuff, like you can look that up too. But the interesting part, going back to what we were talking about with the placebo effect, so then he wrote a follow-up book called Beyond the Relaxation Response, which, um, it, so, you know, he this the first book got, uh, like, it was a big deal. People were like, whoa, what do you mean the mind and body are connected? That's mm. crazy. Heretic. Heretic. <laughs> yeah. That would be a post-Orthodox perspective at the time. Exactly. It was yeah. huge. It was Health so heretic. controversial. and But... Um, it was also at a time when China and Tibet were like 
you know, and the Dalai Lama was like, well, maybe, uh, you know, if we can show the value of what we're doing, um, to, you know, in Western terms to the Chinese, they'll back off. Spoiler, it didn't work, but like, <laughs> but that prompted the Dalai Lama to actually uh, like say, cause he wanted to go and study like really, really experienced meditators. Yeah. Right. And not just college kids that have been doing this for two weeks. And, uh, you know, they were like, no way. Like we don't, we don't do that. But then the Dalai Lama was like, well, you have to. And so they were like, okay, I guess we will. <laughs> so he went to, um, you know, climbed up into the mountains of the Himalayas with all of his equipment and everything to find these like hermit monks. The Dalai Lama did? No, no. This oh. is the, the, the research, the Dalai Lama just signed a thing and then forgot about it. I'm sure. Cause I he see, has so many other things right. going on, <laughs> but, um, no, this researcher, um, that wrote the book and he, he climbs up into the mountains and did the same thing, you know, like mm-hmm. here, put this thermometer up your butt and we'll like hook you up to all these things. And now sit there and meditate. And they did these like really fascinating things. Like they would change like at will, you know, change their temperature. You know, they could sit out in the snow and with like a loincloth on or whatever mm-hmm. and melt the snow and never become cold. And like, this was like measurable mm-hmm. on here. And so even kept though their basal body temperature high, right? Like, so even though like those are things you can't do, they were doing <laughs> it because they believed they could. Yeah. And really like, so a lot of that, bu- of that book talks about, you know, what is the placebo effect? What is the power of belief? Is it mm. actually, just, you know, faking yourself out or is there really more mm-hmm. to that? It's really mm. kind of interesting. I would like to, one of the things that I want to do someday when I have more time is like, see if I can, this is just sort of like a pet project that's been living in the back of my head for several years mm-hmm. is see if I can find a way to pass through a wall. I'm laughing, but yes, no, I mean, but like out of all the things, out of all like, like astral projecting, <laughs> no, like no, walk like, through this wall, like f- the flash, like yeah, style, because okay. like which is lightning. Have atoms, your atoms. Atoms are more space than matter. Mm-hmm. I am more space than matter. There is less physical stuff here than there is space. Yeah, and same thing right here. So I should be able to theoretically, like me through the wall. Just you have if to use your, that sound. If your molecules can vibrate to a level that, like, yeah, is Works higher than it. that and can go around that, then it is totally possible, right? Um, Scientifically, you gotta it's work possible. up that speed, though. I think that might take a while to run <laughs> that marathon. I have to work up my belief. <laughs> that, yes. that sound, you need to work on that sound a little bit yeah. more and refine it. Sound effects with, are yeah. everything, as we all know. <laughs> so, what got you hyper focused on? Um, hypnotherapy and craniosacral as your modalities of choice. Yeah, there's a lot of modalities out there. There's a lot. And, um, and I've studied a lot and I really think those two just sort of stood out as what was necessary, mm-hmm. you know, like, cause I, on all of my stuff and everything that I preach, you know, is, is all mind, body, spirit, right. You know, you have to address all three and as simultaneously as possible to facilitate healing at the deepest levels. Mm. And so really, you know, between, you know, craniosacral's ability to address, you know, energy and this musculoskeletal system and hypnotherapy's ability to address those underlying beliefs, um, 
really like that is, is kind of what, what really struck me. And so, you know, back to my back injury, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was able to manage the pain very effectively. I could keep it at bay. Everything was good. I was able to function as a normal person, have kids and all the, all the other things I know. Um, but then I would still occasionally backslide, you know, Mm -hmm. like I moved houses or I wasn't stretching or doing all this. And then, oh, you know, yeah. like we're, you are allowed to swear and, on this show. Oh, like, okay, yeah, great. No, ah, yeah. shit. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> yeah. And then Not like on the radio. You, yes. Here. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I just like, you know, be oh, totally no. fall over and like be screwed for a few days until mm-hmm. I could get moving again. Um, and then this was actually, um, right at the beginning of COVID, like right when, my business was completely shut down locally. Um, and I was, I had more time for some, some studying and I went, um, I had, I was, I went to a, cra- uh, a hypnotherapy session first and I had a hypnotherapy session, which I'd done many before. And like any kind of therapy, sometimes it does take, you know, you're, you're working through layers, mm. right. Mm-hmm. You know? And so this one, I really didn't have a huge goal in mind. It was just kind of a, I'm just working, you know, working towards doing better, fine tuning the practitioner. You know, there's nothing, you know, better for your clients than a well-tuned therapist. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I went in and, and, um, I, I won't tell you all about the session, but I had a huge breakthrough. Like it was like one of those, like smacking the face. Like I had never fucking thought of that that way at all. Oh wow! And, um, just really changed a lot for me. Like I kind of, I left, like I cried a lot and it was you know mm-hmm. pretty heavy, but then I left and was like, shit, like how much of my life has this controlled? Mm. And, uh, and I had a craniosacral session scheduled right after that. For you to perform or for someone to for, do on you? For someone to do on me. Okay. Because I practice what I preach, damn it. Yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> not all the time, but like as much as I can. <laughs> and so I, I went and I was just like, I, you know, I, I was pretty spent as far as, you know, emotion. I was just like, I just, you know, want to chill and, you know, not talk because sometimes during craniosacral sessions, we do like guided imagery and mm. a little bit more, you know, dialogue with the inner physician mm-hmm. um, or the inner wisdoms mm-hmm. or some words that, you know, you'll hear us use. And uh, I was just like, I, I don't have that in me right now. Like I'm, I just, I just need to um, clear things out. Yeah. Right. You know, and so um, she did the session. I don't remember the session at all. Like it was one of those that I was, I completely do not remember. But when I went to get up after the session, I noticed my back, like the little thing that's always there that Mm. had been there since I was 14 was not there. And I, I would not let myself fully acknowledge it. Like Mm. I knew consciously that it wasn't there, but I would not acknowledge it because that would be too hopeful. Too good to be true. Right. Yeah. Like, it'll be back. I'm just really relaxed right now. Yeah. It'll be back. Yeah. And. um, Speaking that into existence. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> I just went about my business and it never came back mm. at all. And that was, you know, wow. a couple of years ago now. Yeah. And, like. A couple just, years ago, like. 
2020 or a couple of years ago, like 2018? 2020. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. A lot of times when people say a couple of years ago. I know, days, right? That's often what I do. Yeah. Yeah. I only know because this was literally like right. I was, I was doing this whole healing period during the beginning of COVID awesome. because I couldn't work, work on a bunch of people. And, yeah. right. and technically we weren't supposed to be doing cranio sessions either, but we were both craniosacral therapists. Right. So we just kept working. Taking care other. of yourselves. Yeah. And uh, so we, yeah, it was just like, wow. I, and I knew, I mean, of course, after all of that time, I knew there was this, this huge mind body connection. I really believed that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time in the back of my mind, it was like, this was a physical injury. You, uh... I was in a car accident. <laughs> I physically hurt myself. Yeah. <laughs> this was not mind body, right? This was something that was just beyond that. Mm. Right. Just body. And there we, you know, I mean, there you there, go. There you go. You know, and some beliefs got smashed into it in the car accident. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that, and that's what happens. Like mm-hmm. it really like, it's crazy how, and I don't want to say crazy. I don't like to use the word crazy. You're not right. crazy. Mental health is not for people that are crazy. It's for everybody. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's just, it's so wild yeah. to see the way the subconscious works and the way those beliefs can act. And just after working with enough people to see, you know, what things can, um, create, you know, what, but beliefs can create what outcomes for you. Mm. It's just like for good or for better, for good or, or for bad. bad. Yeah. yeah. Good, better, or really not good. At yeah. all. <laughs> um, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And I also think that, you know, bringing that around that, like smack you in the face of beliefs. Like that's another thing I really wanted to talk about was just, like I think trauma is becoming far more recognized as a thing, right? Like Mm -hmm. people, you know, mainstream medicine is recognizing the mind body connection. Like a lot more people are open to the idea that, you know, trauma causes some real shit. It's getting to the point where people are tired of hearing the word, right? you know? And I'm like, that's a good thing because it just needs to be something we know and we talk about. And a lot of that being, I really think because they don't, relate it to themselves. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, they can see how, you know, these people in the Ukraine are being terribly traumatized, right? They can see how, you know, someone who's like mugged or raped or something is, or, or who was molested as a child mm-hmm. or something. They're like, Oh, I can see their trauma being mm-hmm. bullied but, at school or bullied at work or whatever it yeah, is. But, but I'm not traumatized. Them. Yeah. It's not me. Yeah. And even if something because bad happens to me, I don't see how it affects and me. And we don't think of the bad things that happen to us as trauma. I think our right. culture is so used to feeling shitty and so used to bad stuff happening that we don't think of, if we can't just call all the trauma trauma because then we would be surrounded by it. And we are. And we are. And so I think that's an acknowledgement phase that we haven't hit yet because mm. like if we were to actually call all the trauma, because there's different kinds of trauma. Trauma mm. isn't always just being thrown up against the wall by an abusive parent. Like yeah. traumas can be very small, very, right. very tiny moments, you know, no physical pain or a little drip over a long period of time. And we exactly. think when we hear the word trauma, I think a lot of people visualize a giant violent Blood monster. force trauma you know? versus mm-hmm. other But kinds. like traumas right. can be like a creaking door in your bedroom at night when you were a child. Like it can be very small stuff. That was an analogy. Like I have never actually heard of somebody being like a physical, well, a, yeah. a yeah. physical, pheno- like a physical phenomena that then starts a large uh, psychological physical phenomenon. It has to be a large one. It can't just be your mom slapped you because you used a swear word at dinner. That can't be a trauma. 
Right. That can't really be a trauma. Or even it has to be just a something you one. saw on TV. You know, yeah. like I was uh. three and I snuck in and I was watching a, a movie and this woman died while she was giving birth, uh. which means like I should never get pregnant because yeah. I could die giving mm. birth. Exactly. You know, um, I mean, there's it's very sneaky. The complex PTSD, mm-hmm. right? Like that is just such a different beast and it's so easy for people to not real and and honestly even the big traumas mm-hmm. you know even the even the people who have been um raped or have been in war or mm-hmm. something will still not recognize that it was like it might have been an, a traumatic thing for them mm-hmm. but it real they're fine mm-hmm. it didn't traumatize them Right, right. There's a difference between trauma being the incident of a thing that happens and trauma like my trauma. Like You're my, coping with the thing. My feelings of it's, trauba. It's not yeah. affecting me. Like right. 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 And so, you know, both of those things being um, you know, huge factors in our lack of ability or lack of willingness to address this huge elephant in the room of like you know we just we just want to look at the ukraine crisis mm-hmm. you know and 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 get angry at russia and say russia is just a bad thing and we hate those russians and then i mean i've seen crazy stuff i mean like i th- i think we talked a little bit about this but i actually have a friend who's she's a nail tech and she's going to a training and she was going to a training for uh I think it's it's in like the next month or two or something, yeah. and it's for Russian manicures. And now they're like changing it to Ukrainian manicures. Oh, because my God. they can't sell Russian manicures. And um, but they're only not going to be able to sell Russian manicures for like two months, right? Because <laughs> then it will be something else, right? And you know? but, but like that's the thing is like we we're going to look at and call them bad instead of saying how did that happen. Why is why, why are they doing this? Why is the progressive version of Freedom Fries when they stopped calling them exactly French yeah. fries, right. and the left made fun of the right for being xenophobic idiots. Well, and that's the thing is there's there's no left and right. Yeah, that's not a thing. That's just this thing we've made up. We're we've, all we've been given that thing right. to fight each other over. Right, yeah. and it's very convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact of the matter is, like, we're all here, like the same people yeah. literally. And that's not just some thing people say that's like peace and love and we're all the same and shit. Like, <laughs> like for seriously, yeah. like we are, and it's insane to be, you know, trying to say that we're, we're in any way separate. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so like it's very, it's artificial, it's, but that's, that's trauma. That's how trauma mm-hmm. works. You know, trauma, it, it puts you into this, um, you know, sort of, uh, it's a heightened state of the nervous system, you know, where you're stuck, but it's a very tribal, very ancestral. I feel unwell or reaction. unsafe. Therefore something bad must have happened. And in order for something bad to have happened, there must have been a bad person or entity that did the bad thing. And instead of, and if I can find out who the bad person or bad thing and is, defeat them. then I won't feel badly anymore. Right. 
And that's why I think we're locked, especially in the U.S., we're locked into this cycle of being given the next bad thing to be mad at because yeah. we're in such an unhealthy and unhappy and, we're and unsafe used to state. We're, it's, it's comfortable for Whatever us. Whatever the next bad guy is, it gives us the little bit of endorphins that we're going to fight it and we're going to win and we're going to complete the fight or flight cycle and then we'll feel better. Exactly. I mean, and it, and it is because we've just been doing the same thing. It's just, it's the same reason that you see, you know, your best friend who's got the, she's always dating these awful guys. <laughs> You know, and they're always the same jackass. And but the the thing is, like this new jackass fits beautifully in where her old jackass was, and she doesn't have to change her whole life and her right. whole change. You know, her, the way she views and everything. maybe this one will be different, which will make all the other ones worth it. Right. And uh, if she were to were to embrace like this amazing, you know, new guy who doesn't really fit in that spot, she'd have to change everything, which she is would very be, scary and uncomfortable. She would have to love differently. And those love yeah. imprints were developed when she was very young. Very young. Mm-hmm. And so she's very used to doing that same thing. And that's what we're doing. We're just continuing to date the same jackass over and over again. <laughs> well, it's prescribed jackass. Yes. Like in our culture, there's uh, in the, in what the they US, call public relations. Mm-hmm. And public relations is about solidifying group think into a externalized enemy that's just and they just keep prescribing the enemy Mm -hmm. so the cold war was the boogeyman everybody could be a commie for a while and then suddenly it was um drugs yeah so we all have to the war on drugs be uh, against the drugs and then terrorism was great because it was super abstract right anybody could be a terrorist yeah right so and then when we moved into the covid narrative it was really about a virus, which you can't see. Right. And so it could be anywhere, which did, Anyone I think, something to people's... Oh, that is traumatic as all... I mean, like, really, when we're talking about trauma, um, that's how I can very comfortably say every person on this planet has lived through trauma. Mm-hmm. Because regardless of how your life went before, like, this last couple of years has been so traumatizing. I actually was talking to... Um, someone and I will, you know, use different names and everything for like HIPAA purposes. But, um, she was working with a client for weight loss because this woman had been very overweight, but then she lost like a a ton of weight, like a hundred pounds. Right. And right before COVID. And then, um, she, then she gained it all back and more Mm. and she's working with her on like why and what happened, you know, and like, you know, we've all been dealing with a lot of anxiety with it and there's a lot of um, negative habits we picked up and a lot of other stuff, but this it long story short through this therapy that it had turned out that the underlying belief was, well, I'm going to die. COVID's going to kill me. So I might as well eat whatever I want. Mm. Mm-hmm. And this woman wasn't like a non-functioning crazy, like person on the street or something that was just, you know, this is just a, a normal person and that's just a sort of a an example of the kind of underlying beliefs that you know start running your life. Start running your life that I mean was showing up in the way you know, the way her body looked because she was putting on weight. But gosh, how else was that affecting her life? And who else is holding very similar beliefs um, around that? Like, well, I'm going to die from COVID, you know, or you know, a lot of people I love are going to die mm. because of COVID, or you know, some. I mean, like this is just. That it, there's a ton of things that can come up that are like, whoa, when you realize that it's like, that's, that's a big deal. That's a heavy mm-hmm. thing to be walking around. I with. feel as though 
it sort of smushed everybody down into this way of being mm-hmm. like, like well, it took everybody down a notch, not everybody, obviously, and right. not all the same notch, no, but like kind of cultural like generalization, red dough, you know, like we're going to need a little more trauma in, we're going to need a little more trauma in, we're going to need a little, you know, and just like, um, people internalized a ton of beliefs during the COVID the last couple of years that are affecting their, and will continue to affect their lives without challenge because they don't know that that's happened to them. Mm-hmm. I think there's the, there's the, in the Buddhism I used to practice, there's a phrase of turning poison into medicine. Yeah. And since this idea of the mind body thing is fairly new in, in, a, in the establishment, it's pretty old, but yeah, yeah. in the old establishment yeah. in the West, narrative yeah. <laughs> in the West and the establishment narrative of the West, since it's fairly new, this guy's like, Hey, I should write a book about this because it's not supposed to happen. Right. So that's just working its way in mm-hmm. to our systems here. And it feels like, uh, a traumatic event, like the last two years, this, 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 so many, like what you're saying, so many little traumas, so many, um, ratcheting up where people it's the it's the frog in the boiling water thing yeah where mm-hmm. people just get used to it and accept it's it. normal yeah um we all got used to our it baseline. being way shittier really fast suddenly so yeah. i feel like the poison and turning this poison into medicine is really this provides the opportunity for us to deal with something that we can all share yeah a shared trauma to talk about trauma in general yeah mm-hmm. Exactly. And say, hey, people, hey, hey, something yeah. happened. Yeah. And and um, we had a guest early on last year, uh, Joseph Myers. He, he, he coined the term, I think, uh, amygdala hijack, of how your amygdala gets yeah. hijacked with a trauma. And at that point, you're in a reactive state and no longer in an active, You've conscious state. you outside your window of state. capacity or your window of tolerance, and then you're, yeah. Right. So a lot of us got hijacked. Mm-hmm. Our amygdala got hijacked during this thing where we just have to be in response to the story or the message and we have to continue to be in response and not think about what's happening or what happened to us yes. or what we're doing to other people in our trauma state. So I feel like I have to take care of myself. Right. Having, you know, because if you start talking about childhood trauma or incest, then immediately there are people who are like, ooh. I don't want to even talk about that. Or I'm sorry that happened cool, to you. Or that's but nothing to do with Or it, it. happened yeah. to me, but I don't, ooh, right? So to have a shared trauma, mm-hmm. like this, this um, the way the narrative came out, I think could, you know, I think most everybody could agree that we, the narrative, maybe we learned some things and we don't do it the same way we did it last time. Yeah. Because I think people were, there were documents in Germany and in England, and I haven't seen the documents in the United States where they were basically saying we need to. The government was saying sca- on purpose. the government we need to scare people into compliance because they're not going to comply, and if they don't comply, we're all going to die. Because so, there was this idea of the impact of the virus in the beginning, so prepare for the worst, and that scared people. And then they don't have a back door for people to come out of that fear and they out of that trauma. They didn't have a plan in place for walking people back from the traumatized state that they put people in in order to get them to comply with what they thought were the necessary measures to protect everybody from the virus. Right. So as the virus effects lessened and lessened, there wasn't a plan in place by these governments that to ratchet it down. Well, and there so never like, has been. This is yeah. far from the first time that this has ever happened. No, I no, mean, right. this is actually a normal thing. And when we're talking about doing it better this time. I'd go back way further than that and look at, you know, the, I think we had talked about this before about, you know, people are, are sick of hearing, um, 
you know, the word trauma and they get kind mm. of frustrated with the, you know, those millennials mm-hmm. and they're so, you know, there's so everybody's wounded and they're so, wo- you know, yeah. snowflake yeah. and, um, man up you know, and get your shit done. Uh, my grandparents lived through the depression and they weren't traumatized. They, they, they went and fought in the world war and all right. that stuff. And they were, yeah. they absolutely were. And there's a ton of generational trauma there. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's, we just weren't talking about it. We weren't talking about it. You know, we called it shell shock when, mm-hmm. you know, soldiers came back and had horrible nightmares and would just drink all the time and abuse their loved ones, abuse their loved ones. And it was just normal. Right. You know, but we didn't recognize the secondhand mental health stuff that comes <laughs> from that. And, you know, the way that it affects you mm-hmm. just being around them and the way it perpetuates down a line of people you know um my uh my husband you know is um american indian you know and uh it, just like looking at the generational trauma that comes down from that which was not that long ago right. i mean his grandmother passed away a couple of weeks ago mm. who lived in the boarding schools that oh they had my you know God. She up, and like did she ever talk about that? She she talk did a little it. bit. With, I mean, she wouldn't really talk through it. I wouldn't say yeah. that there was that level. But um, actually, one of the first times I met her, I was interviewing her for the archives um, because I, w- I was in a uh, history class where that was, you know, we had to find somebody to interview. But anyway, it was really, um, you know, it, it wasn't recognized as trauma. It was like I lived through s- hard stuff and I, that really resonates with me because I think I was that person for a really long time. You know, I, um, I graduated from high school when I was 14 and I was in college full time by the time I was 15. I had multiple full time jobs. Um, this is you. At the same, yeah, this is oh, me. yeah. Um, and I don't talk about it a lot actually, because it, I, it makes people think think you must be a genius uh, that was the big word that everybody would always use like Uh, oh like i actually applied for a job when i was 16 and the lady was like wow i've never met a genius before and i'm like oh god right you know like i'm not a genius i'm good at school i'm Mm -hmm. you know great at reading books and reiterating um you know regurgitating for tests right you know but uh so anyway so i but i had a lot i mean i had a lot on my plate i did a lot of things um I don't want to throw my mother, my mother under the bus on anything. Mm-hmm. I, like everybody lives the way they do for, you know, because of the circumstances, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the support that they had and the, the mental capacity they had at the time. And, you know, but she wasn't as, she wasn't the support that I needed mm-hmm. in that. And I felt that I needed to support her largely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I bought the family's car because we didn't have a car, you know, when I was 15 and like, it was just, it was a lot. And, but I was like, okay with that because that's just what I had to do. And I stepped up and I did it. And for a long time, that's how I felt. And then I didn't really start to notice. I mean, I, I knew going through a really hard childhood was traumatizing, but it, I mean, I wasn't traumatized, so I was fine. You didn't go and, through a really right. hard childhood. Yeah, like I, yeah. I went through a hard childhood, but I was fine. Like it was yeah. totally okay. It was just the way it happened. <laughs> That's so and, funny that you were like going into mental health and trauma work and then also thinking, but not you. But not me. Yeah, it was totally not me. <laughs> and like, I mean, I really, people do this mm. very yeah. effectively until I, you know, I started looking at, you know, kids that were in college, you know, and taking 12 credits and just like so stressed out. And just, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Like, I just, 
like, this is so much pressure and so much stress and I can't handle this. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're taking 12 credits and working a part-time job. I was working 60 hours a week and taking 19 credits minimum. And, you know, and I had a baby when I was 19. Fallacy of relative privation. Oh yeah. Like, and I mean, I was pretty good about not saying it. But that was what I thought. That was what went in. And that's in in the mix. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I I get exactly (laughs) how insidious that shit is. Because, you know, like like I said, I was literally studying this. Yes. And I didn't see it in myself. Do you feel as though there was a shame element? Because I think that's a a lot of the reason why, and I have a devil's advocate thing to something you said earlier. I think that's a lot of why... Many demographics of people don't want to um, or have decided that they are not traumatized because that would be seen as a kind of weakness. Weakness. Absolutely. Well, and it's normal. It's actually when you study trauma, that's part of what trauma is. So when you exit that window of I was weak and I will not be again. Yes. Like it. you. So you I'm going to butcher this, but basically like so the infant is well within their window of capacity where their nervous system is functioning optimally and below it, there's, there's not enough tone to the nervous system and above it, there's too much. It's, it's too intense, right? So like down here is like depression, malaise, that sort of thing. Okay. And up here is like anxiety, panic, terror. So you're talking about regulation right. versus dysregulation right. on either side. And so like the infant is well within their window of capacity and then like something happens, they're hungry or they, you know, poop in their diaper or whatever and they cry they become dysregulated right they well they not yet they Mm. cry Mm. because help right they need help right and then you know that they start to go up but then the caregiver comes and they're okay and they stay within their window of capacity but then when the caregiver does not come and it, it escalates outside of that window and then it continues escalating through these very defined points mm-hmm. Where first your, you know, like terror comes in because uh, oh, what if shit, I'm alone? I have no caregiver. I'm going to die alone here because right. I can't help myself. I'm a tiny animal. Right. And um, and it, it goes through this whole thing, which doesn't just pertain to infants. You know, I mean, like there's like you're when you first go through terror, right, because like you're being chased by a bear or something. And like so first you're running, mm-hmm. you know, first it's it's flight to get away. And then you're like, I am not going to be able to get away they're here. So then it's fight, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, that as it, as it escalates further. And so it's like a different hormonal cascade. And then when you realize like, I can't beat them, I'm most likely going to die. And so then you bottom out to the freeze hard. and you like you freeze and you bottom out. And so hopefully the predator doesn't want to kill you anymore doesn't because it's no thing. fun. It's yeah. just flopping around. Or if they do eat you, you're flooded with these like hormones or it's like, man, who cares? Yeah. And die anyway, mm-hmm. so it's fine. Yeah. And it's not as terrifying and horrible. Right. So that is a normal thing because then once you hit that point, there's a tremendous shame. I did not I I wasn't able to get away. I was not able to fight it off. I was not and and so because I was not able to get away or fight it off, I failed. I failed so mm-hmm. badly. I'm not worth living. Like I'm not worth like I'm not mm-hmm. worthy of life. And so it, that is, that's just, that's a normal progression of that trauma and shame pattern. Uh, you keep talking about um, the nerves and the nervous system mm-hmm. and this cardiologist's work on how 
transcendental meditation that affected, was beyond his work, but yeah, based on it, yeah, uh, affected people's um, cardiovascular system, enabling them to heat themselves up or cool themselves down, yeah, or r- raise or lower their heart rate. Um, Stonefruit Media on YouTube asked a while ago if you believe consciousness lives in the nerves or in the blood, seeing as we have nearly 70,000 miles of capillaries Mm -hmm. in our system. And I'm not exactly sure what he means by consciousness, but when we're talking about the mind-body connection, um, do you feel any more weight for either of those particular systems? Um, well, my first instinct is to say, what's the difference? (laughs) We're all one. There's not, there's no separation between us, right? Um, only the illusion of separation. Only the illusion of separation. Oh, it's just your intestines. Right. (laughs) Um, but what I think they're probably getting at, um, so that what we know about the nervous system and the nervous system, like how the nervous system functions is constantly evolving. And the big thing over the last decade or so has been fascia and connective tissue. Mm -hmm. And we used to, used to be like when you were doing dissections, like even when I was just doing dissections, um, you know, uh, in my initial anatomy classes and, um, you would like peel that stuff off. And that's that, that's that annoying filmy shit. We just pull off and throw away because it doesn't do anything. And like, it really, like it was just like, Are you serious? yes, like it was very discounted and, and, you know, maybe it would give some structure and support to things, but it wasn't an important thing. Mm. Um, and this like for people that don't have an anatomy background, like when you're eating steak or anything like that, like filmy thin stuff, right. That that's, that's fascia. And the fascial system is actually a singular integrated piece that wraps around and through basically everything in your body. It, It bundles around every single muscle cell, muscle bundle, muscle belly, um, it it holds the muscle to the bone as well as um, forms the the tendons and um, ligaments that mm. hold, you know support the musculoskeletal system. The I feel meninges. like my entire system is just sort of feeling tired hearing you mention all of the things oh, that the fascia it, it's, is doing. It's going everywhere. It like folds uh. through the folds of the brain, like everything, and um, it's not just for structure. It is actually, um, when you, when you look at healthy fascia, it should be a very gel like sort of matrix, like a web Mm. that moves that they call the web of life. So people were discounting the fascia because they were looking at dead fascia. They thought that it they were looking was at malleable fascia. to be worth investigating. Right, right. Because it's very different in living tissue than it is in dead tissue. It's just the bag to hold things together. Right. right. And the and skin inside the eggshell. Exactly. Which is also, I mean, interestingly, in craniosacral therapy, there was like this, there's this huge, um, so in craniosacral therapy, there's always been the understanding that the cranial bones move. Your skull is actually made up of quite a few different bones, mm-hmm. not just one solid piece, and that they can move and and move around each other and accommodate changing mm. um, intracranial pressure. But then, you know, mainstream medicine said no. It's one like it's it's made of separate bones when you're born, so that your skull can fit through the vaginal canal. Right. But then by the time you're like, I think like four, um, it's fused. You don't have little holes in your head anymore. Right. Um, however, most of the studies that, you know, they had done had a, you know, a foundation in that sort of medicine back in the 1800s was 
done on embalmed cadavers and oh, embalming my God. completely freezes yeah. everything, you know, and whereas then there's, there was other parts of the world where mm-hmm. they were doing those same sorts of, you know, anatomy dissections, but on fresh cadavers. Right. And they had always accepted that the bones of the skull were not fused. Um, huh. And so now we know that for a fact they are not. We have the capability to go in and look at the tissue in the sutures that mm-hmm. you know between the bones and go, oh, this is not osseous tissue. This is connective tissue. And they're like and, tectonic plates on the planet. Yeah, like we we know now that they you know they're not like moving all over the place like your elbow joint or your hip right. joint, but they are moving. They're mobile. Mm. So, but back to so fascia, um, healthy fascia is actually a big part of the nervous system and nerve conduction and through for like the way we conduct um you know nerve signals throughout the body Damn. like and like the way the nervous system can tell the blood vessels to dilate mm-hmm. or to constrict or whatever and um so if i was going to imagine where consciousness lives in the body. Um, I like to imagine it everywhere, um, but the place where it crosses from energetic to physical happens within that connective tissue. Epic. Great answer. Stone Fruit Media (laughs) is in the process of launching um, an institution that is about psychedelic integration. Yeah. Um, There are actually a few higher education institutions that offer like I guess what you could call trip sitting as a class. I actually just got Facebook what they call sponsored it ad targeted this morning by the first accredited master's program in psychedelic um, integration and studies. So That's there amazing. is now in the U S there's a, there, and mm-hmm. I'd have to look back up to see what it was. Cause I was like, Oh cool. Screenshot, you know, um, cause I'm not going to do it. But like, I also was like, Oh, that's really amazing. You know, that, right. cause I'd noticed that there was, you know, a, this is a, a great change like, right. Yeah. And like, this is at, like a real, um, pharmacy school where they're, you know, teaching about all of this. And, and it's just fantastic that that's being more accepted. I think, um, I had a, I had a sense when I was in my early twenties in LA that, as we progress as humans in society, that the final civil rights battle would be for cognitive liberty, yeah, for the ability to integrate ourselves. Since we are not being integrated through our school systems or through our medical systems or our psychological systems, that when we um, stop the prohibition on neurochemical experimentation and people are allowed to start um, working out their own consciousness instead of having it just be a theoretical thing, Mm -hmm. that that would be the shift that ends all this nonsense of public relations and us and being manipulated from outside Mm -hmm. when we could actually begin to manipulate ourselves. Yeah. Which I mean, um, I don't know how close we are to that. I don't either. I would like to think that we are, making progress all the time towards that you know it's um it's so interesting to really think about when you say like public relations and you know being manipulated by extra i mean this is not new with television or anything i mean for thousands of years that is what 
has happened. How people Mythology. in power manage, mm-hmm. how people in power manage the consensus of the citizens in order to achieve yes. certain goals. Exactly. And I'm, and usually I not feel for their it necessary to, as I enter into this part of the discussion mm. to preface with, um, I don't think it's inherently bad. I don't, I think often necessary, um, you know, for certain, like to survive disasters and things, right. You know, like when we were talking about like the government's not knowing how bad COVID was going to be and, you know, instating this fear in people. I mean, man, when we didn't, when you don't know, like, is this the zombie apocalypse? Mm -hmm. Like, Oh shit. Like everybody's going to die from this. And like, we need to be able to respond quickly. And that's Mm. why we do that. That's why we're designed that way. Right. Best case scenario. Able to, that would be a helpful thing to do. Yeah, like it's very, it's a, it's a not, it's not bad. When you know I lived I mean? in Los Angeles, uh, where there's grinding poverty right across the street from obscene wealth, and yeah. it's 112 degrees, and there's income inequality everywhere, um, and only one person got murdered, and the news would be like, "Oh my God, tragedy in East LA, somebody was murdered." And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, that's a miracle. It's a miracle <laughs> right. that only one person They're was not murdered in the desert." Carrying pitchforks into the mansions and overthrowing everything. Yeah, I stopped fighting that. At that point, it was like, oh, we are managed because we don't want to. I think that was the thing is I didn't want. I'm a sovereign human being. I can do whatever I want. But we're being managed. Society, there's management to society. And so I'm, I was, I became in awe that food could travel on trucks through 20 million people in the desert and it wasn't being mobbed and poop got hauled away. The psychology of infrastructure. Yeah. I started going, okay, all right, we, like, I think there there was this apocalyptic daydream of 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 chaos. Right at the beginning of of all of this, when it's like, okay, all our credit card debt's going to be wiped out. Exactly, and we're yeah. going to like. <laughs> I think I think, and I've had this theory since Y two K that I think we gravitate towards apocalyptic theories because we're not happy with our lives and we're not happy in our lives. Yeah. And the idea of something sweeping it all away so we could just be raw humans again and and survive by our own wits is really attractive to people who haven't, I think, understood that we are being managed in ways that I think we, and that's what a government's supposed to do is right. oversee the management of but for some reason, I don't think we talk about it that way anymore. It really has become a top down instead of us giving power to Someone empower to man- tools us to help us manage ourselves. Yeah. And so, like, and and at at what at what point um, when that those systems start getting used for the few and to benefit the few instead of the many, do the many say, "Hey, we need to redirect"? Well, it's not as much at what point how. Right. I mean, obviously, like we want to change that as soon as we can, as soon as we notice it happening. But how? But that's it's the recognition of the problem. I think has mm-hmm. to is the is the first thing. We we are the changing of- the problem because we haven't fully admitted the problem. Right. The recognition, and this goes back to exactly what we were talking about with trauma. You can't get through. You can't work through trauma. You can't change your trauma response. You can't bring your nervous system back into regulation until you've recognized that it's dysregulated. Mm. Right. And, and a lot of people right. want to skip that part. Right. Um, they want to skip the recognizing that I am not with it in right. some kind of way. 
I wish we could find those tweets that Evno sent to us during a previous show. It was a series of tweets about how our culture is geared up to everybody wants to be a hero and save people from disaster, but yeah. we don't want to do the work to prevent disasters. We're we're much more wired and much better at um, acute trauma care rather than chronic trauma care. The the way that I really see that and the thing that really just jumps out right away when we start to talk about that is people, everybody is like, I'm ready to do hard work. I am ready to do hard work. I am ready to work. And, and they, when they say I'm ready to do hard work, I'm ready to do the hard stuff. They think that means working a hundred hours a week mm. or something right. versus right. actually probably working 10 hours a week, but just doing stuff that's painful and awful. And you would rather not do that. You know, and I mean, any kind of behavioral change situation, you know what, like just going back to something that's very relatable to any person, you're stressed and overwhelmed and you have anxiety and you really, you know, you, you want to lose weight or get in shape or whatever. And you want to make all these changes in your life, but where would I even start? You know, you know that you need to um, drink more water and meal prep and, mm. you know, organize your schedule to where you're, you know, cleaning your house from this time to this time and then playing with your kids from this time to this time, you know, and, and like, or and, I can just or, get an endorphin rush right now. Exactly. Or I could just spend the next six hours scrolling around on Facebook yeah. and not do any of those things. And mm. it's the, the fact of the matter is that is so much easier. You know, it's so much easier than actually changing the way you live your life because the changing effectively and permanently changing the way you live your life means changing your identity and the way you mm. identify yourself. You know, you can force yourself to go to the gym, you know, for six months to get in shape and lose weight for your wedding, mm. or whatever, mm. but you can't force yourself to do that for the rest of your life. You can, become someone who just goes to the gym. That's what you do every day. You love going to it's the gym. It's fun. It's part of your way. It's who you are. And when you become that person and you remove the underlying beliefs and barriers that make you hate it or that make you, you know, try to avoid it or, or anything like mm. that, then feel guilty for going, being guilt, guilty for going. Cause you should be doing something else, mm -hmm. whatever. I mean, there's a million, we can't name all of the underlying <laughs> beliefs cause there's way too many, but you know, it, it it's actually changing who you are to be able to do that and changing at the way we are as a society from reactionary and looking at like those damn Russians mm. um, to going, Oh, why is that happening? Right. And, and not, and like really doing work to look and to understand mm -hmm. the different sides mm -hmm. and the, you know, the, the pull from, from different things. That's hard. It's, it's, it's not something that a lot of people have time, energy, or skills to do. Right. We're exactly. not given those skills and most of us don't feel like we have the time or the energy. So instead I'll just feel good about myself. I'll now, change my profile quickly. picture to blue and yellow. Right. So people know that I care. Dump out some Russian vodka yep. on the mm -hmm. street mm -hmm. and I have succeeded and being a good person today. Well, it's a signal. Not to not to say that's bad. I mean, well, if that's where I you know, are and that's where your capacity levels at. Yes, that's okay. And I know no that the people that are doing those that. things are doing them because they care. Right, they're doing them because and they that care. Caring is important, and we've just been impetized 
we're we we don't have the ability to like do big shit like right. most of us are not going to go to the ukrainian russian border and start handing out supplies right so or, i'll change my facebook profile or, picture. or you know start you know doing things like to dialogue with other countries and you know it, like Become Organi- some kind of ambassador, right? And and they find out why is this happening and mm-hmm. what's what's he doing? What what's the what's the motivation there? Why suddenly does this country mm-hmm. that was already seemed to be doing pretty well? Why are they all of a sudden forcing themselves on this other country and risking nuclear war and causing all this, like there's what's going on? There's some causes involved. There's yes. causes. We, yeah, there are. Yeah. And and it's mm-hmm. I mean I don't know. Geez, I'm not an international relations specialist. It I'm not telling you I understand. Took us it, a long but I time. No, there's more stuff there. It took us a and, and only just to do a brief segue because I do want to keep on the topic of trauma rather than politics for sure. But it did take us a very long time to find anybody that was saying any big picture about what's going on with Ukraine right now. Yeah. But like the simplest version uh, that's coming out in in the data is that the U.S. had placed several bioweapon labs in Ukraine on the Russian border. Mm, Okay. And Putin was like, I don't want there to be bioweapon labs on my country's border, so I'm going to bomb them. You guys have this much time to leave before I bomb them. And then Mm -hmm. he did. Now, I don't know what's still going on. I know a lot of it has escalated because of sanctions and stuff going on with NATO. Um, This is what happens a lot of the time with bad parenting is that the kid acts out because of something wrong in their environment and then they get punished and then they act out more and then they get punished and they act out more without the parent ever going in and being like, wait, why were you acting out? Yes. And can we fix that problem? And this is such a good way to illustrate how individual trauma and collective trauma Ugh, are the, the same thing. Yes. They're the same thing. And so if you really want to do something, if you want to not feel so impotent, um, it's really about working on yourself mm-hmm. and your own trauma and recognizing, and that doesn't have to mean going to a therapist, uh, you know, every week for years, you know, yeah. I mean, that's great. If you have access to that, if you have, um, you know, the, the capability to do things you like might that, just start with reading some books or scrolling through some therapy, Instagram, or just going shit. Am I traumatized? <sighs> right. Am I traumatized? Why did do, I just, have, think am that I way? doing things like yeah. this? And just opening that door. This is a big theme of season three, actually, for us. Season two was a lot... After getting kicked out of the radio station at the end of season one, season two became a lot about trauma and how dark and I needed to get way more trauma-informed so that we do things like a disclaimer at the beginning of the show and be like, we're going to talk about tough shit. And if you're not in a place in your life where you have extra energy to dally with some tough shit... Don't watch. That might challenge your yeah. grasp on because, reality. Yeah, because yeah. it, it's going to be alarming at some point. And so, like, we became way more trauma-informed in season two because I think we were – we thought that everybody else got off on challenging themselves the same way that we do, yeah. very naively. And we were very bold in our perspectives on COVID data, and we were very bold in our perspectives on Democrats versus Republicans, and a lot of friends got really shocked, yeah. shell-shocked by those – just bold, just cl- boldness without any cushion around what we were saying. And right. so season two is a lot about becoming more trauma informed. And season three has been a lot about getting it local. Like yes. maybe we're not going to do a giant citizen rebellion globally, but what we can absolutely do is um, decentralize the revolution and start taking care of myself, taking care of my loved ones, taking care of my literal town. Yeah, which and is literally we, where it's always needed to start. Always. And yes. Yeah. And if we can just all do that, then we would all do that. Yes. 
we're all doing the best we can with what we have. And that absolutely includes your current level of capacity and programming Mm -hmm. and the, the way you're thinking right now. And so I, I do, I think it's, it's gotta be clear that this is not judgment on people Mm. who aren't ready to do that. I, I, you know, I think, um, Man, we can go in a million different directions with oh, this. I mean, like every moment, like, it just goes like this. <laughs> well, like when I think about like the body positivity movement, Ooh, right? Yeah, and mm. you know, there's all of these people that are very upset about it because they think that it's glorifying obesity mm. and all this. And it's like, you know, I get it. I get why you might think that, but the yeah. fact is, there's a lot of people who will never lose weight because they hate their body. Right. And if they can learn to love their body, then they can take care of their body better, which will obviously lead to, you know, being in better shape and losing weight. What is a prescription for somebody to learn to love their body? That's not an easy task. No, I mean, that's, it's, um, I think the body positivity is a part of that. You know, I, I think when we talk about, um, artificial design, uh, divides. We hear PC culture or woke culture and people who are a part of that and people who hate that. Mm-hmm. I feel like the PC movement is always coming out of a need for some serious change. Yeah. And then there's overreach. Yeah. It goes too far. People um, start to do it as an identity rather yes. than a movement. PC principle, for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. And that um, rather than combating the PC culture, we have to understand that it had value and use, acknowledge the value and use. Yeah. And then all before we start talking about the overstep and the overreach. Yeah. So the people who say, we haven't been heard and we're going to do this until we're heard, you say, okay, we hear you. Mm-hmm. Also, there's more to it than your focus on it. There's, this is an integrated system that we have to integrate into. Yeah. And, and I think we get divided into the woke or the unwoke. Instead of actually saying all this is useful, how do we do it better? And that's, you know, because balance is hard. You mm. know, I mean, Buddhism, right? The idea that everything has to remain in balance. You know, if we could just throw everything this way. And have everything come out great. Mm-hmm. We would do that. We'd have done that a long time ago. But because it has to be balanced, you know, between, you know, like both sides of the spectrum, that's hard. And it's not just hard, but it's continuous work. Mm-hmm. You can't just mm-hmm. do it and then it's done. It's always there. Right. We've talked about on the show where when we as a culture decided to face racism and start dealing with it in a larger way that we did not get rid of prejudice, but we displaced prejudice Mm -hmm. into other places. Yeah. It's not like the prejudice went away. It just suddenly it became uh, fashionable to hate racists instead of maybe understanding where that again, what, why, why, why would somebody do that? How did they come about that way? Well, but we don't yeah. ask that question. And so you can just theory. hate the racist now. Yeah. You can take your hate against a race and say, okay, it's not fashionable anymore. Now I'm going to hate the people who hate those people. Yeah. It's just a displacement. Which is not healing. 
I, it's not changing anything. I completely agree. I, I, I would like to, I would like you guys to make me give you the name of, and the link to, so I, I had a, I went to a wonderful lecture on the Sunday before Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Mm. And it was a, um, it was a lecture for a, a Buddhist Sangha. Um, but it was a, um, the lecturer was a, a woman of color and she's a, um, meditation instructor at spirit rock mm. in California, which is a, a meditation center. And they do a lot of, um, cool retreat things and whatever. But she was talking about, um, something that I'd never really heard about. And I had to go Google and I, I definitely am not the person to lecture on it, but uh, it's called equanimity. Equanimity, yes. not equality or mm. equity. Right. Mm. And, um, you know, it's just really like, and her focus was on, you know, on everything, but on, on specifically racism and her own personal journey to, you know, learn to, that there is a balance between fighting racism, which has to, has to be done. Like we can't just accept racism as right. a thing, Correct. but also not hating the people who are racist and, you know, really realizing that the um, racism that is so, just ingrained in the U S happened for a reason. You know, we were a, a young country mm. who was fighting for existence and, you know, slave labor was at least perceived as necessary. Mm -hmm. And of course, in order to justify that in our minds and make it okay mm. to have slaves, we had to see black people as less and as, as less than some interpretations of the mainstream religion of the time and their religious texts allowed people to, it was it was considered Make it okay acceptable because people with darker skin were sons of Noah's cursed son, right? Who disobeyed God. There was, there was a lot of, of really just pulling whatever <laughs> yeah. you wanted out of, mm. um, you know, it, it, interpretation is is so um, easy to do. I and mean, now like we you have can interpret for your own yeah, purposes. We have some people today who are actually hold prejudices for some reason, and then a ton of people who don't hold any malignant prejudices but are just poorly educated and poorly exposed when it comes to different races and what that, how you should think about that in your head. Right. And, and that's, you know, really when you think about it, comes down to their, you know, lack of ability or lack of capacity to stop and say, is that true? Mm. And is that true or is it my perception? Maybe never having hung out with anybody who wasn't white. Right. You know. Um, so equanimity is defined as mental calmness, composure, and evenness of temper, especially in a difficult situation. Yes. Is that the word mm. you're looking yes. for? Yes. Okay. And really just like, like I said, this is open to um, any, you know, direction of things. But that the focus of that lecture, of, of course, because it was right before Martin Luther King Jr. Day was about racism. And, you know, that she would want to hate racists. She was, you know, a black woman growing up in the U.S. And there's a lot of hard shit that happened to her that shouldn't have and was not okay. But calling the people that were racist evil was not only not helpful, but damaging to her. Mm. Yeah. And realizing that, you know, in any capacity, you know, look at, at like governmental powers and saying, you know, those bastards in power that are doing this to us. Well, mm -hmm. they're not, they're doing it for a reason. Mm -hmm. You know, it can't like, is it a, a justifiable and universally ethical reason? You know, 
debatable, but mm. it's, it's, um, it, it's for a reason. There was circumstances mm-hmm. that led up to that and they are most likely doing so believing that they are right to do so. That's why I thought uh, you're familiar with this term, the Great Reset. And, well, and then some people are actually psychopaths and right. sociopaths. There, there are. I yeah. mean, right. that is but very few very, and very hot, far away from. Well, we where, glorify yeah. those folks right. in our society. We glorify sociopaths into positions of power. People who would take on those positions of power, how so? Or gravitate towards. Um, uh, well, I was raised on lifestyles of the rich and famous, mm-hmm. which was not about people who were contributing to society with their ideas. It was about um, overt displays of wealth Mm -hmm. as a goal to get rich, not that you may have gotten rich from your works, but just to become greedy. That was so much of my childhood on, on television. I don't know that it's changed much other than it's not as, you know, now that it's just all over social media. Not as right. Right. So, I feel like when we, um, there's the, uh, we've talked about this before on the show. There was a social um, experiment where they went into a high rise uh, as a metaphor that the, the, the most powerful people are on the higher floors and the least powerful people are on the lower floors. Uh-huh. So they put a coffee station at the elevator on every floor and said, um, we're going to try this experiment, people on the floor. If Here's a kitty to put some money in. Here's a tip jar. And if we get enough tips, then we'll be able to provide this service. And the lower floors always had way more money than they needed for the coffee. And the higher you got up, it got to the point where there was no money in the tip jar at all. They just took it. Yeah. And that was emblematic of the people who gravitate towards those positions of power. And they couldn't do that if we did not somehow... Um, give them our fealty yeah. to do it, to to say, well, you know, they're, that's, it, it's become, I was raised to want to be that. Yeah. To be the guy on the top floor. And without really me understanding what that meant. And it wasn't until my, like in my mid twenties, I started saying, what are, what are we doing? Like, what am I doing with my life? What am I contributing to? with my life, to my society, to my environment? Am I taking more than I'm doing? Or am I, am I growing as a human, growing the human endeavor? Or am I just sucking off of the planet that I live on? I have to say, I, I, that seems to be a bigger problem today than it ever has been. I mean, you know, again, there's balance, right? I mean, and there's all those, People are like, oh, these kids these days, nobody wants to work, yeah. you know, and, and that's why there's, you know, everywhere's hiring and nobody's got oh. whatever. Um, so, I mean, there's, <laughs> there, I think there's, it's not, it's not that simple, yeah. but right. there's also a ton of people. Everybody wants to be on that top floor. Mm. Everybody thinks they deserve to be on that top floor and everybody thinks that's where they will be happy finally is once they are on mm. that top floor and no one thinks about, well, what's going on on the other floors? And could that be not just okay, but where I would actually be happiest? Mm. Um, I really think that's, you know, and maybe that's, you know, like when you talk about like lifestyles, rich and famous, I think Instagram influencer, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. Um, everybody wants to be the Instagram influencer with the giant mansion. I'm 23 years old and I make $20 million a month. Like Uh, like doing nothing really. Doing nothing. Right. 
And who cares if it's just making stupid videos that literally contribute nothing. It's another um, iteration of that idea. Um, I can't remember the phrase. I wrote it down earlier. It's when Mark French jumped at me for saying, said, write it down right now. But it's the idea of being raised. I was raised, I think of my own childhood. I was raised to play a game that I couldn't win. But the ethos of the way I played the game said that I couldn't quit or I'm a loser. Right. Mm -hmm. And I feel like so much of our society has put us like on a carrot on a stick track to get the thing we could never have. And that's how we are moved around Keep almost as, as livestock and... to, to move resources around, to extract well, and resources we, and move resources into the hands of the few. We belittle the yeah. guy who's happy to be a postal worker for 40 years. Yeah, and we belittle the guy who's happy to Loser. run the dump truck, and we belittle the lady who's happy to work at Denny's until she's sixty. Like, when are you going to get a real job, or aren't you going to do something with your life? Like, yeah. And we are brainwashed to do that to each other. Yes. That's public relations. I'm sorry, that's the correct term. It's you public, sorry, you sorry. public relations. Striving to do better, more, than that. more better all the time. Yeah. So um, you wanted to play devil's advocate about something earlier? Is it is it already gone? No, it's not gone. Okay. Um, <laughs> You said, isn't it great that we all have this shared trauma? I didn't say it exactly well, no. that way. Isn't, <laughs> it great? isn't it great that I appreciate? Um, isn't it great that we all have this shared trauma now because it's going to enable us to open up more conversations about trauma, trauma because this is one that most people can acknowledge they've had. Mm -hmm. I didn't say it was great. No, I know. I said, this is, a, gonna it pull feels that clip like there out. is an opportunity. Yep. <laughs> They're going to pull that clip yeah, out yeah. someday. And it feels be like, like there's an opportunity. He likes it. Um, yeah. Yep. However, <laughs> uh, devil's advocate, the same people who aren't interested in talking about trauma are the same people who were not traumatized by the last two years. Do you think so? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure if I agree. I know a ton of people in a particularly reddish, conservative-ish demographic mm -hmm. who did not find the last two years to be traumatizing because they were not living the same way as my bluish friends were living. Okay. Like in nuclear shelters of their homes alone for the I, good of humanity. I can, I can very much say that's... Yes. Yeah. I think... And it not, not necessarily... So like the people the who are already divide. into talking about trauma... We'll have another thing to talk about to talk about trauma. In general, bluish people are more open to mental health stuff, and reddish people are mostly not into mental health stuff. That is maybe not true. Okay, um, I don't know if I agree with that either. Yeah, I, I think that's I a think stereotype. A yeah. I do think it's a stereotype. Um, but as a clinician... Yes, you have more data um, than I do. I, I often... and because Well, I think I held that belief. Mm-hmm. And I think I even still sometimes will see someone <laughs> and I won't I, like it's always uh, when you work in mind, body, spirit stuff, you know, and integrative therapies. And it's always like, what level do I start this person at right. when they come in? Do I just like do some basic craniosacral and mm -hmm. you know, or do we just dive right in there and like, <laughs> you know, really go nuts? Have they and, ever thought about uh, their own thoughts? Right. And um there's there I've definitely realized that you cannot tell um outwardly Where you know at. yeah you know I've had yeah. some of the um most conservative seeming um you know older white male guys military guys yeah. or you know and they're the most open 
about that. You know, I mean, they're the ones coming in and I'm like, okay, we'll start real slow. And they're like, I really think my heart chakra is blocked and I need, you know, to ground better. And and I'm hoping that you have some insight into how I can, you know, work through this, um, you know, like, and I'm like, oh, excellent then. Well, cool. You know, but like, and here I am thinking that this guy's never going to open up to this. So I don't know that that's Mm. true. I definitely know they're the ones talking about it more. They're the ones more open and discussing it. The bluish people. Yeah. But that that's not necessarily meaning that they are the ones more open to Mm it. Um, especially I love hearing that change. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think actually there's a lot of people more open to it these days. Um, like I said, the big problem I perceive being they don't see it as them mm-hmm. necessarily. Um, but I I do agree that, oh, this is great that we all have the shared trauma um, because that is something that I can approach with them yeah. as like, yeah, this is, a tra- this is a traumatic event that you live through. Yeah. And they'll go, oh. And then, but I'm still not traumatized from it. I'm like, okay. And then you can start there and mm-hmm. work forward with mm-hmm. that until they go, you know, get smacked in the face and go, oh my God, that was totally a drama. So and I have drama. been living like that. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, sometimes it's not that dramatic, but uh, it's very, yeah, I definitely, I, th- I think that's the stereotype. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's true. We talked about happy uh, to stand corrected on that one. Season two, we talked a lot about trauma of like us becoming trauma aware of of me trying to understand how what happened happened, and understanding that the people who were uh, who were pushing us out as a date they thought we were a danger and they were mm-hmm. trying to push us out of a scene. Me not trying to understand how that happened. How did these people? perceive me as an enemy how did i suddenly become perceived as an enemy and then it became like well i've been trying to have rational conversations with people exhibiting trauma behavior so i've been trying to be rational in a way where the folks were not able to have a rational conversation which made me look other and it's really easy to punish the other yes very who's much not so. like you and so season three we want to spend more time on what can be done. Like I, I feel more trauma aware. I feel like I understand when I go into a state where I'm just like, fuck that guy or fuck that thing. And I'm like, what is that? <laughs> why is, am what, I doing why that? Why am I doing that? And, and I'm that's better at asking response. that question. Yeah. Sometimes it is fuck that guy and fuck that thing, you know, like, but there's, I find myself putting people into categories, putting people into stereotypes and, and then assigning their thoughts about me to them who I've never talked to. Right. Just projecting that. Projecting, projecting. So this season we want to talk more about people in your field and people who are outside of your field that are doing your work. Mm -hmm. The, the work of trying to get us integrated again with our mind and the body integrated again. Um, Because I think there's this desire, especially from a lot of friends of mine who are considered progressive philosophers or they want to save the world. Right? How do yeah. we save the world? And I'm like, it's got to start here. It's got to. You've got to get integrated first, and decentralize the revolution. Taking care of ourselves first. Taking care of our our the people in our community first. And we're looking for we're looking for ways to do that. Options 
options for people to explore. We had a lot of feedback in season two of people being like, yes, but what do we do about it? Yeah, you know? it's all for terrible, sure. but then but, what? But I love sitting around and philosophizing and theorizing and junk, but I need action. Yeah, yes. what can we do? Which I am living in a very secure and happy life, and so I don't feel as though I need an action item at the end of the show because to me, I'm living in a place of security and happiness, and we had to get, we have to remind ourselves, like, a lot of people are not living in a place of security and happiness, and so it's really healthy to end the show with a conversation about like what are some actionable things that we can do to feel as though we're not just left in this philosophical muck on top of everything else. I've been trying to focus on how we can get back together after being split apart. We all got atomized. And like how do we come back together, especially when so many people are even traumatized by the idea of getting together with people Yeah, physically? Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it, you're ap- I completely agree. As far as the start with you, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I said earlier the I I learned very early on the greatest gift I could give my clients was a well-tuned therapist, you know, and like really like create, like make myself into a very safe and secure container that people then could feel like open to letting themselves go and open up right with, um, And, uh, you know, behavior change is probably one of the hardest things there is, right. You know, to like, I can, I can tell you all the things that you probably know, like there's breathing exercises that you can do to help, you know, regulate your nervous system. Mm. There's a lot of somatic practices, um, and, and somatic regulation strategies, somatic meaning touch and, and physical and body. Um, and, uh, you know, but, and, and of course meditation and, you know, eating healthier and all these other things. But then it's like, shit, that's a lot of things. I don't know, like if I can do that today, let alone right. every day and all, all this. And, um, I'm, I'm actually running a 12 week program starting this next week, um, specifically for brain and mood health. Awesome. Um, to help people with changing. Is this a physical changing. location where you're doing this or is this, this an online this thing an people online can join? Thing people can join. Sweet. Um, we'll meet once a week, uh, for the next 12 weeks. And essentially it's about changing identity and, you know, taking mm. each week to focus on, um, you know, the, the, the three things, right. You know, it's the, the mind, body, spirit aspect of behavior change and saying, okay, so this is the first thing that you should be changing you know, not should be, but get, but might want to invite, you know, yourself to change, mm. um, to, to become the person who lives the life that you want to be living and, you know, looking at underlying beliefs around why you would ever not do that, mm. you know, and then the practicalities of how you can fit that into your already very full life. It's um, right. awesome, you know, and it's it's really um, it is it's something that's very necessary. It's I will say it's not a program I designed. It's a program that I am certified to facilitate. This mm. was actually designed by someone who's you know way more specialized in this than I am. His name is Dr. Dan Engel. Um, he is a um, integrative psychiatrist, and he does a lot with like psychedelic work and and things like that and he's written quite a few books, one of which uh, Freedom from Meds mm. is a really really great book. Um, but that's and so should people can find you on Facebook. I know people can find, can find me find, on Facebook. But then, like, 
How um, should they reach out to you about this class and or potentially other services in the future? Because I know for personal experience that you do Zoom therapy. Yes, I do. Um, I Several do. kinds. Yes. And um, I never thought I would do that. I was very much against it. Um, but then, of course, COVID forced us all to explore um, distance therapies a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And then I started realizing, honestly, it's just as effective. Um, it's it's really if you, it's about establishing that safe container mm-hmm. and then navigating properly, so that you know you always do your own healing, right? In any form, doesn't matter what we're doing. Um, but as far as reaching me, I can give you guys a link mm-hmm. um, that people can follow to be able to find me. I am on social media um, at Holistic Bodywork Therapy. Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Um, yeah, we'll in- put the links in the YouTube and the uh, Facebook chat so people can check it out. Yes. And um, if you want to learn any more about that program, just DM me at this point on Facebook because it is starting this next week and I can get you any information or get you signed up. Awesome. Um, so stone fruit media. Yep. We and have Darren Anthony, the folks. they've been yep. going back and forth. Okay. It's been super awesome. Um, I'm just going to scroll back up to the top okay. of what they were talking about most recently. And we'll just go through these. So, Uh, We were talking about benign racism versus malignant racism or accidental racism versus intentional racism. And we talked about how um, we were talking about how there's always a reason somebody does things. And in general, people are trying to do stuff for some kind of good, you know, or like they believe that what they're doing is fine. You're always the good guy in your own this belief system. Yeah. I do, I think personally from what I've understood about psychology and what's going on on the planet is that there are a few people on the planet, maybe like a few thousand people say on the planet Mm. who are sociopathic, psychopathic people who are under no illusion that what they're doing is for the good of humanity. They know that what they're doing is for their good and the benefit of their people and they don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. I do think that there are some people that are truly like that, and many of them are in uh, positions of obscene power in the structures on the planet, the financial structures specifically on the planet. And they're shaping those. Yeah. They're shaping those pathways. So things like the World Economic Forum and BlackRock and um, Black- Blackstone and the World Banks, these organizations manage finances, and in managing the global finances, they are managing governments. And whereas many in many places on the way up there are people who really truly believe they're probably doing the right thing at the very top of these pyramids i believe are people who literally do not give a shit and also know that what they're doing is hurting lots of people but they don't care because they're so detached from the the machine of empathetic human society it's still really the same psychology though i mean they are doing the right thing and the right thing is what's best for them Right, right. And yeah. and because they're detached from empathy. Other. Right. With well, society yeah, and empathy. It's a godlike position. And I think a lot of people, this is the problem that I feel like we're having, is a lot of people can't imagine that degree of callousness and meanness. And lack of empathy. And so they can't imagine it's happening because they're so kind and loving and wouldn't imagine ever hurting anybody or anything, they cannot possibly imagine that there are people like that. And so they keep believing that whatever's happening to them in must the world... Must be good people trying to do it. Must be somebody who means well. Mm-hmm. 
whereas a lot of the things that happen to us as citizens are orchestrated out of no desire to take care of the citizens, but rather to keep the machine of the planet going for the benefit of the people who are at the top. This I think that's theory. why the, the, the Occupy thing was so powerful when it happened, because somebody had articulated the 99 and 1%, instead of the left and the right, or the red and the blue, or the us and the them, the blacks mm-hmm. or the whites, they were like, this has nothing to do with any of that. This has to do with a small percentage of people who are manipulating the world. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we're, if we're going to integrate our mind-body-spirit, that that's a metaphor for the larger world that we're living in. I mean, we do it by doing it to ourselves, of integrating with ourselves. I think it's also important to understand the problem before you start trying to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. And which response we give to which people. Like and we were sometimes I don't want to do the work because that would mean facing how bad the problem is or how far I've let something go that I have to work on. Somebody that does something Absolutely. accidentally racist or needs to be treated differently than some- someone who does something intentionally racist. Yes. And that's tiring. And yeah. and all, I think also, you know, the big thing being I could have done something a long time ago and I didn't and really all of this was my fault. Right. You yeah. know, because I did I would have it. to stop blaming somebody else for my problems and that's yeah. too painful. That's yeah. too painful. And it would mean that I quote unquote wasted all that time. Mm. But it doesn't so mean I, that. But it that's what it feels yeah. like. That's what know? it feels like. But and like but I'm just saying like if you're at that point or if you're around somebody that like, you know, that's at that point being practical and action oriented, it doesn't mean that. That's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that. It actually means you're you're open to ha- you're going to be having a way better life from now on. Yep. Rather than just staying in this same kind of life, so you never have to think about how it was bad before. I'm guilty of that. I mean, a lot of my philosophy, a lot of my poetry, a lot of my comedy, the stuff that I did was all about trying to find the bad guy, so we could come together and fight against the bad fight guy. against the bad guy. And it's only in the last few years that I've just been so exhausted by trying to accomplish such a task that I've started just dealing with my own shit. Yeah. So, and, and realizing, yeah. No, go ahead. Oh, sorry. They're realizing that there is no bad guy. The only bad guy is fear. You know, we have mm-hmm. two options. It's how we react. Yeah. Two options, fear and love. And I mean, that f- can sound super like, Oh, hippie shit. But in every <laughs> moment, I that's all there is. And every really moment, that's all there to, is. Yeah. It's true. And, mm-hmm. and really when you talk about people, um, who just don't give a shit, I mean, I think they do. I think they do. I think they're they're terrified. And so they amass as much power as they can to become mm-hmm. as godlike as they can because then they have more control and less to be afraid of. It's a control thing, yeah. You feel as though psychopathy and sociopathy are grounded in fear? Yes. I mean, you know, of course there are some people who have mm. literally no emotion. Yeah. Um, and that's a different thing, and it's a, I mean... Who the hell knows? I mean, that's right. Is it the devil? Is it like, um, you know, just something broken Some in their brain? Imbalance. Some weird thing. Like, yeah. right. who knows? But uh, it, that's, you know, usually it's it's much more about fear. And really, even with people like that, it's often about fear, you know, because they just don't have the capacity for empathy. So it's a little easier for them to allow their fear to carry them farther. Um, and it, Really, you know, we do a lot out of fear on a daily basis and call it love. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, we yeah. we say we love our kids <laughs> so much that we, you know, force them into um, roles that don't fit them mm-hmm. 
because for their own good, for their own good. But really we're just afraid what will happen if, if they yeah. are left to their own devices mm. or if they do something that they really love instead of becoming a lawyer or mm. something, you know, they become an artist. And so we, we make choices for them out of love, but really it's out of, out of fear. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of, um, a lot of controlling things and that's why this mindfulness aspect is so great to just sit down and think and talk about what we're doing to ask, do, is my nervous system regulated? Do I feel safe? Are these decisions that I'm making out of love actually from a, from a place of fear, mm. you know? And cause the only difference between the most awesome person, you know, who's just mother Teresa, selfless, loving, giving, and that guy at the top of the tower that doesn't give a shit is complete orientation in love versus complete orientation in fear. Yeah. And really Star we, Wars had it right all along. Yeah. Mm. Star Wars is incredibly insightful actually. <laughs> the original 3 mostly. <laughs> I don't know, man. Have you watched the Clone Wars, the the animated no, series? I've heard a lot of shit about the Clone Wars actually. I have heard that and people are really getting a lot from the Mandalorian too. So Yes. We're Mandalorian is wonderful and the, the book of Boba Fett. We're just totally not brought talk me about, like, back to like yeah, yeah. Loved it. The Phantom Menace, those three. Yeah, those ones didn't. Those happen. were like it was like actually those star- ones were better than the the other newest three. Oh really? Yeah, the, I didn't Aww. love. The, I think they're writing those out completely and gonna like redo, um, the the story like alternate. Mm. That's crazy. Wise, I know so many people who are obsessed with, um, Kylo Ren and right the Chica, whatever her name was, Ray, and their story. I'm um, not, but okay. I preferred <laughs> as as far as sequels. Well, you know, it's sort of a time immemorial thing. It's the Edward Scissorhands. It's the Harley Joker. It's the Beauty and the Beast. You know, like this is a primal. For some reason, this is a primal love story that we keep retelling over and over again. Is the Beauty and the Beast. Um, but uh, I really liked um, the sequels. The the uh, what's his name? Timothy Zahn. Star Wars trilogy. He wrote a, a three book series about what happened after the Return of the Jedi okay. and their choice. And they're like, really, what actually happened? You know, like, <laughs> like Han and Leia. Like what get, actually? Yeah, happened. Han and Leia get married, and they have yeah. twins, and then this new power comes up, and they're dealing with trying yeah. to create a society out of having crashed the one that was running the universe, even though they were the bad guys. Right. That still means we're dealing with a crashed society. Uh, you yeah. know. So we have. So something has to co- come out of that. To- yes, and how do we make sure that the thing that rises from the ashes is healthier? Right. They're very, very good books. <laughs> I know. I, I really wanted them to make those into a movie. I could sit here and talk about Star Wars and the philosophy behind it for the next two hours. We could also. make another show. We'll make another Just show. Like, yeah. I mean, really, like I love like the entire and like, you know, the balance aspect and, you know, how Luke screwed everything up by, you know, attempting to rebuild the old Republic and the Jedi Acting Order out of striving. instead of really mm-hmm. seeing the balance that could be there mm-hmm. between the two sides and. Uh, for, I meditate a lot yeah. on Yoda's thing that we thought was dumb when we were children, but now it's like do or do not. There is no try. Yeah, there is only the present moment and what you are or are not doing. You are not. You are not trying to read more books. You either are choosing to read a book right now or not choosing to read a book right now. It's in your power. And you, instead of feeling exhausted by trying all the time, just, just do, do or don't do it. Mm. Do it or don't do it. 
Try does not exist. And if it's not working, asking why. Yeah. And try only that. exists in your mind. Quitting an addiction was like that. Quitting cigarettes was like that. All my time was spent around thinking about when I was going to quit. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of a, like, not you know what? Smoking. I'm just going to have this cigarette. And this will probably be my last one because I'm really, really ready to quit. And now that I'm satisfied with this nicotine, I can easily see myself quitting cigarettes. And I really, it doesn't do anything for me at all. <laughs> and then, um, you know, so I'm totally, I can totally do this. And then an hour later, it's like, <laughs> after this cigarette, so Stone Fruit Media recommends Joel Backen's book, The Corporation, and mm-hmm. especially the documentary based on it. It uses the DSM to speak about how these people in positions of obscene power nice. often have psychopathic tendencies. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, therefore, our entire economic, political, and geopolitical structures are created, framed, and sustained by psychopaths. And when you get to the top of the pyramid of elite atrocities, you get people like Epstein. You get into things even beyond psychopathy. Are we witnessing a kind of flip? And we really only have some... We can go overboard a little bit, but at some point we'll have to have lunch, friends. So right. Stone for Media asks, are we witnessing a kind of flip, growing contingent of anti-war Republicans... Faced with blue MAGA, blue MAGA, so blue no matter who, um, quote unquote shit libs dying to censor and exoriate people. Excoriate. Excoriate. So it's like, what what is going on? Because we're having like a bunch of Republicans that were really happy Trump wasn't taking us to war. And he was like the first president that didn't start a war in a really long time. Mm -hmm. Right. And And then we've got a bunch of blue people on the other side who are suddenly like locking down, getting super conservative, getting really close minded, getting really like pushing people away rather than mm. being the party that brings everybody together. The big 10 thing. Super weird. Blew away. Yeah. yeah. Um, Darren Anthony. So interesting. You're talking about the top of the pyramid, but these people are controlled by the voices in their head, their ego and being ego driven always ends in tears, mm. which you kind of brought that to the front mm-hmm. that you, you're like, even in this, we must have compassion. Yes. Even even right. speaking about psychopaths. Yeah. And I do think I still had a little bit of the tiny, tiny like little Christian in the back of my head that was like, but some people really are just bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Shush, shush child. <laughs> um, <sighs> well, I think it's also this idea of uh, the prescribed. Th- I, I think that the bad guy is prescribed to disempower people. There's a prescription to like fight if as long you know you have to go fight the bad guy, mm-hmm. which creates the specter of something big that has to be fought, versus building a parallel institution. So he's saying like our entire systems are built on psychopaths. So it's like well, we can do something else. We can build. This is the thing that I've been obsessing about for the last three years. We can build parallel institutions to media to school. So, like, we can educate ourselves now. We don't have to have the institution as educate us and go into debt for 30 years to do it. We can educate ourselves. We can be healing ourselves. We can um, um, find ways to manage our communities and build new institutions rather than taking on this thing of fighting the hydra that has no head to chop off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, that's been a slow transition for me because I still just want to go chop off a head. Yeah, Stone Fruit Media says, I have no compassion for the Sackler family. Hang them from the lamppost. <laughs> okay. And, and yes. it's tough. I it's know that feeling. To, yes. Because like, it feels good. It Wouldn't feels it be good nice to... if we could just stop the bad guy? Yeah. <sighs> but, right. yeah. No. 
this is why I think the ripple, it's like the brainwashing trickled down from the top. And I think the healing has to trickle, bubble mm. up from mm. individual healing. And, and also, I, I, I think when we say compassion, I don't think we need compassion as much as that, that equanimity, right? To say, mm. like, they're not just bad. Yeah. They are the way they are for a reason. It's not okay. I'm not going to let it stay that way and right. not try to do something about it. It doesn't mean you. But it's like not that. like they like were just like better. touched yeah. by evil mm. and are, you know, this like sort of magical bad thing. I like this breakdown. E- equanimity is acknowledgement of the present moment reality. What's really happening? Like yeah. what is actually ha- this is nonviolent communication. Yes. What is actually happening right now? Followed by in a separate acknowledgement acceptance and opening up to the moment and how we're relating to it. Yes. So acknowledging what's going on is different than how I feel about what's going on. And then when we acknowledge how we're relating to what's going on, it enables wise actions for future moments. Mm. Love it. <laughs> More of that. Yes. yes. Do you guys have any final things? We um, obviously we could just go on forever. Hey, we could we just keep talking this again sometime. But, um, Someday when we have a, an audience that's supporting the work, we'll be able to do multiple shows a week. At this point, Dark and I can't like uh, do real life and also edit and pre-produce more than one show a week. But if you guys would like to support Post Orthodoxy, you can go to postorthodoxy.com and sign up for as little as five dollars a month to help us get to the point where we can produce more shows a week and we can start paying yeah. our guests and paying some teenager to like. Yes produce the shows for me after the fact and some other teenager to do my social media and it'll be amazing so nag your friends somebody like, tell your friends tell yeah. everybody about it get everybody listening there might be people that think that what we're doing is worth throwing money at even if they don't want to take the time to tune in somebody on twitch said uh do we want to be famous we can buy followers oh oh yes that's totally Thanks. a thing <laughs> youtube not <laughs> pink axe <laughs> um that's funny all right that's a funny Apropos, final comment. Stone Fruit Media, parallel systems. You said parallel institutions. Right. Buckminster Fuller said it long ago, build new systems. Don't try to reform the existing ones. The you existing can't fix ones, the problem, a broken system, by the mechanism of the broken system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Broken systems will collapse under the weight of their own filth and unsustainability. That's a nice belief. So we have one more question for you that we're going to ask off air. It's a part of a documentary that we're doing where we're asking everybody the same question. Okay. And we're going to segue it all together into a little documentary. So we'll ask that off the air. So we'll have you stick around for a minute, but thank you for coming down and, and sharing the work that you're doing with us on the show. So other people know that there are things like this happening in the world. And you guys go find Christine Trafford on Facebook, holistic body work. Say it again. Holistic bodywork therapy. Thank you for visiting our outpost in the borderline. Bye, guys. Post Orthodoxy is a project of Sevier Studios. We host ongoing interactive conversations centered around cognitive liberty, and you can join in by catching one of our live streams on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitch. You can also catch each conversation after the fact as a podcast by searching for Post Orthodoxy wherever podcasts are found. If you take value from the work we are doing and the community we are building together, you can support the outpost in the Borderlands for as little as $5 a month on our website, Better Time. That's betterti.me. Visit the Sevier Studios page and subscribe. You can also support The Outpost by following and connecting with us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, and or Substack. 
post-Orthodoxy theme music was composed by Frank Pascal, and a special thanks goes to our voice actors, Amelia, Colin, Zbo, Rosie, Gabo, Vicky, Mokai, and Tony. Thanks for playing. <laughs> What's outside your reality bubble? I think I dribbled a bit, that last one.